0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph, and I can't believe it's Easter already. I mean, a year ago, we recorded one of the very first one of these uh, lessons from my house into your house, and it just seems like a million years, and it also seems like about five minutes. And somewhere in the middle of that, we have been through so much together. Man, oh man. I'm so happy that we are here on this Easter morning. This is going to be the last Easter morning that we do like this. The next time this day rolls around, I think we'll all be together in some way or another in a different kind of togetherness, and I'm so grateful for that. But I'm also grateful for what we have been through. I like to think that we are smarter and better and more loving and better at reaching out to loved ones in ways that we just didn't have to before so we weren't good at before, you know? I think there's some really beautiful things about this Easter now that we can see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, right? There's something really wonderful about all of this. If you haven't uh, been watching these videos, I know some people tune in just for the Easter one, and I get that, and I'm glad you're here anyway. But if you haven't been watching, we are working through a whole series called Sunday School where we learn about the whole Bible. And we've been picking out some stories that people remember from Sunday school and really shedding a new light and a new insight and a new set of ideas on how to use what is in those stories to make the world a better place, to make our lives a little bit better, and everything in between. And this is a very special day because, being Easter, we're going to talk about that most important of stories You know the story, just like you know a lot of these stories that we've been through. But you might not know that along with being a story of our way shower, and that resurrection, and that wonderful celebration of life, and that culmination of miracles, and that amazing thing, all of those things that it is, it is not just a story about all of those beautiful things. It's also a story about you. We've been in the cave for a long time, a lot longer than three days. We've been going through all kinds of things a lot longer than three days, a lot longer than a week, a lot longer than, well, you get the idea. It is time for a new birth in our world, in our hearts, in the lives that we share together. So happy Easter. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's begin our exploration of this amazing story with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is, and so it does in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Easter, right? You know the, the basic parts of the story, I'm sure. I don't know what Sunday school you grew up in or if you did at all, but you're familiar with the basic ideas, the concept of, of Jesus on the cross and the suffering and the, the, the crucifixion idea and the death and all of those terrible things that he goes through in the story. You're also familiar with the idea that after being in the tomb for three days, a stone is rolled away and he lives. You know something about that story, which is probably why you're here with me today so I don't have to give you a complete play-by-play. There are some things that I really want to bring out today that I think are especially important for what we're going through right now. That said, I invite you to read this story and you know that this one appears in all four of the Gospels in different ways, different bits and pieces, and we put these together so take a look see what it means to you after we talk today, you'll have some tools that maybe you didn't have before. With all that in mind, i got to tell you that one of the things that sticks out for me, even now, after doing I don't know how many Easter lessons, after listening to I don't know how many Easter lessons, after thinking about this, because you know I'm a church kid from way back, one of the things that I always think about when we get to the, the pre Easter morning thing, the, the crucifixion experience. One of the things I think about so often is something that gave me a lot of trouble when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in a positive, practical Christian movement, and so we always talked about the God is love idea, and we talked about the idea that, that nothing can stop Jesus, and nothing was a problem for him, and he he, he just rose above everything and triumphed over everything and said, the works I do you shall do also. And so we look to that inspiration and we know that we don't have to learn things the hard way and all of those things. We talked about, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I came that your joy may be full and all of those things that you like to think about too, I'm sure. (sighs) And they're all true. I'm not saying you've been sold a bill of goods. Those things are all true, but there's also more to the story. And I learned that in a way, when I was a kid, reading these Gospels for myself for the first time, I'd sit through enough Easter services and decided I wanted to apprehend the stories on my own. Maybe that's why you're here now too, you know? And I got to that part where Jesus is on the cross and he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting thing. There's a lot of these uh, words that we know from the cross. That one, why have you forsaken me, is the only of the last words of Jesus from the cross that appears in more than one gospel. So, really important. But you go, that one is really important? The moment when it, it really looks for all the world, like, like Jesus is having doubts. You and I have been to theme park, and you're excited to get in line for the roller coaster, and you're joking around with your friends and family, and you get there, and the lap belt comes down, and you're excited for this thing that's about to happen, and it's been predicted, foretold in a way, because you can see how much fun it's going to be, and all of that, and all of a sudden, you get up the top of that first hill, and you say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I doing this? Maybe in some small way, you know what that feels like, but we don't like the idea that Jesus would go through that, do we? I sure didn't. Some uh, translations of the Bible, they have like little headlines over different parts. Jesus at the wedding at Cana, the the freeing of the slaves, you know, that kind of thing, little headlines. And a lot of Bibles have that moment as the moment of doubt. Oh, I hate that. I don't don't see Jesus that way. Jesus, who over and over again has said, guys, it's going to be okay not to worry. Jesus who very clearly knows what is happening, what's about to happen, what has happened, not a problem. So it's really out of character. And that bothered me for a long time. It bothered me so much that I didn't even know who to talk to about who to ask about it. Little tip from me to you. If something's bothering you, talk to somebody. As it turns out, as I got a little bit older, a little bit more sophisticated, I learned that that part is Jesus quoting. Now, if you've talked to me about this before, you know this. I'm not going to tell you something you don't know. But in a minute, I'm going to tell you something new about all this. But just to bring everybody up to speed. Some Bibles, the kind that have footnotes, if you look at that part, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me and all of that, there's a little footnote mark. And the footnote says, go look at the Psalms. As it turns out, Jesus is quoting the 22nd Psalm, Psalm 22, 1, where the first line is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know that Psalm, and a lot of people don't, I mean, everybody knows the 23rd Psalm. It's the one that we read at funerals and stuff like that, and it's beautiful, But I would argue that the 23rd Psalm is really the second half of a two-parter. If you want the whole story, you need to start with the 22nd and go all the way through. Because the 22nd Psalm is really about, I thought I was out of luck. I thought it was over for me. I thought that there was no hope. I thought that I had been forsaken by God. And yet it turns out, this is just the beginning of my journey. As it turns out, God is there for me. Go read the 22nd Psalm and then read the 23rd right into it. And you'll realize that this is a story about a mistaken idea. The idea that you could ever be forsaken by God. The story in those two Psalms is, I thought it was over for me, but I realized that it was just beginning. Ah, interesting. Interesting. And this isn't just me reading into it. By the way, once again, look at the footnote in your Bible. It probably says, go look at the 22nd Psalm, verse 1. And this is interesting. Because remember, most of the people who were gathered around Jesus on the cross, in fact, probably all of them, had been raised on the Psalms. And remember, uh, Judaism is an oral tradition, so these are the things that people would recite to each other over and over again. The psalms were used just as they are now in times of trouble, in times when you need advice, in times when you've got to get through. These psalms are songs that everybody knew by heart. In the same way that, that I might say, jingle bells, jingle bells, and you know the next line is jingle all the way. I met her on a a Sunday and my heart stood still or whatever to do, run, run, run. You pick your version. In the same way that everybody knows the next verse, I want you to paint a slightly different picture in your head. This is not anything like a moment of doubt for Jesus. It might be a moment of doubt for the people in the crowd. But imagine yourself in that moment where it looks like the cause is lost. First of all, remember that this is Jesus who has fed the multitudes, who has walked on water, who has taken care of and healed and blessed and raised Lazarus from the dead and everything in between. And you have that moment where you go, why am I doubting? Well, we can identify with that. But in that moment, I guess it did look hopeless. I can understand that. In our own way, maybe we've been there, you know. We can identify but here's Jesus teaching, even from that moment. And essentially saying, guys, remember that psalm that you all know by heart where it looks like it's bad, but it turns out to be just fine? It's like that. In a way, Jesus on the cross is saying, guys, it's like that. There's something really Beautiful about that. And once again, as we explore this whole journey through the Bible, one of the recurring themes is that we teach and we learn through stories. Here's Jesus teaching through a story, through a psalm, that they all know, that we ought to know too. I want you to know, right at the beginning of all of this, that that whatever you are going through, first of all, it's probably not crucifixion bad, even if it feels like it. And I don't want to discount your feelings, but, you know, it's probably not that bad. But whatever you're going through, remember that it's only the first half of a journey. That there is certainly more. There is certainly life at the other side of that. You've got to decide what you identify with. And that brings me to the new thing that I have not talked to you about before. But it occurred to me as I was preparing my notes for this conversation with you today. I think Jesus has a pretty good handle on things, you know, Jesus. But it could be that looking back at that 22nd Psalm, that idea that, why have you forsaken me? Again, something that we can all identify with, but I guess that's the problem, is identifying with it. Ask yourself, the next time you're in a struggle, the next time things are not working out, the next time you feel sad, confused, hurt, angry, afraid, you name it. A good question for you right in that moment is, what am I identifying with? Am I defined by this moment of doubt, loss, blame, anger? Is this me? Ask yourself, is this me? Those three words are huge. Yeah, there might not be enough money in the old checking account in this moment, but is that you? Are you the debt? Because as long as you identify with the problem, you will never reach a solution. As long as you identify with the problem, you will never reach a solution, right? You got that. Well, this is an interesting thing to think about, because think about how God sees you. We talk about God as a loving parent. And you know that saying, a, a face only a mother could love, the idea that a, that a true loving parent, I don't know what your experience with your earthly parents is, we'll talk about that some other time, but the idea of a loving parent is one who doesn't see you in terms of your flaws and faults and your growing places. When they see you, they just see beauty and perfection and potential and wonder, wonder, magic. That's how a loving parent sees their child, and that, my friends, is how God sees you. The reason that I'm reminding you of that is not just because it's a nice thing to remember, but I'm reminding you that also because God does not identify you with your shortcomings. But miracles can only happen for you to the degree that you allow them, to the degree that you agree, to the degree that you agree. I love that. So here's the disconnect. God sees you as perfect and capable. If you see you as identifying with the problem, if my whole identity comes from the sickness and the lack and the worry and the fear and the the, the solitude and the loneliness and the, you get it. Well, you know what? You're gonna feel forsaken. I want to see me in terms of limitation, but God doesn't see me that way. God does not see limitation. As long as you identify with the bad thing, you're going to feel forsaken. And that whole 20-second psalm is really a story about re-identification with what really is instead of what your ego assumes. That is huge. Again, the next time you feel sick, hurt, afraid, lonely, whatever, ask yourself, is this me or is this just something I'm going through? Because those are two very different things. And remember what God sees about you. God doesn't see you as suffering, so you mustn't identify with the suffering if you want to be seen. How's that? This is huge. You have a one-on-one relationship with God. And it's something that we talk about a lot. But it's something that that there's another great moment in these last words of Jesus that, that I'm reminded of. And that is there's this moment where our Lord says, it is finished. First of all, what's finished, right? He's not finished. The mission isn't finished. The ministry isn't finished. What's finished? What do you identify with, right? And it appears for all the world like it's over. I get it. Jesus does, in fact, die, and we have to say this really happened. I'm not gonna hear. I'm not t- here to tell you that that this is some illusion. It's not a trick. It's not like Jesus is not real. That there was some kind of ghostly Gnostic kind of an idea. That he that the uh, the corporeal body wasn't. You know. Uh, I don't get into that. He died. Remember, in the Lazarus time, Jesus is very clear. Lazarus died. It's not a trick. He didn't go to the astral plane to get snacks and come back. He died. (laughs) In that moment, the Bible talks about all of the things that happen, and there's an earthquake. And stones are rent asunder. Everything is turned upside down. The whole deal. And it goes into uh, great detail. And you can almost imagine the stock footage of a disaster movie. You know, when you see the avalanche and the earthquake and the tidal wave and the storm coming and the flood and the, you know, that kind of thing. And you've seen those movies where they jump cut to all those kinds of disasters. And the Bible talks about all of those things. And it also says... And the, the, the veil of the temple is rent asunder. You know what that is? The veil? Does it sound like it's something made out of concrete or something? It seems like it ought to be, given that we're talking about rocks being ripped in half and all of that. Well, the veil is just a curtain. So think about how funny that is. This is something that we've talked about before. The idea that that earthquakes and storms and hurricanes and blah, all these big giant things, it's like an Irwin Allen movie, and all of a sudden also the drapes fell down. That's a funny thing, right? But as always in life, the things that seem odd, funny, like they don't fit, are probably the biggest teachers of something. There's a reason why they stick out for you. Pay attention to that instead of sweeping it under the rug. The veil of the temple, it's like a giant curtain. And the idea was on the other side of that curtain is the Holy of Holies, the place where other people can't go. Only the high priest can go in the temple. And then only once a year. And the idea is in that Holy of Holies, that's where God lives. And on a special day... One special person can go in there and atone for everyone's sins to make it okay. Basically, there's a cosmic reset button in there, and we can just reboot just like when tech support tells you to do it, and everything's going to be okay on the other side of that. It's a -a once-a-year thing, and you don't get to do it. It has to be done for you. There's an intermediary, and the intermediary is behind a curtain. Well, it makes me think of Wizard of Oz, but that's a separate story, right? Maybe it's not. Because in that moment, when there are earthquakes and the stones are rent asunder and there is, there is nothing that stands, we are told that the other thing that goes away is the idea that there has to be something between you and God. Think of it. Think of it. That might be the big miracle of Easter that everybody misses. Yes, of course, it's wonderful and beautiful that that he lives again. And I I will never not be overwhelmed by the beauty of that. And yet, Jesus demonstrates healing and life and and all of that regeneration over and over again. It really shouldn't be a surprise. And in fact, later on, the angel says to, to the women in the garden, don't be amazed. In other words, why are you surprised? Haven't you been paying attention? Did you go out for popcorn at the beginning of this? I think the real beautiful thing, among many beautiful things, is that in that moment, there's nobody between you and God. You don't got to ask somebody else to atone for your sins. Just fix it. Do it better. You are God's child. You don't got to know a guy. You are God's child. In this moment, with this miracle, all of the, the hierarchy and bureaucracy goes away, and it's just you and God. And in fact, the more you think about it, it's just God, given that you are a part of that beautiful life. Oh, that's the miracle. And the lesson for you and me right now is stop waiting for somebody to tell you it's okay. Stop waiting for permission to follow your dreams. Stop waiting for forgiveness so that you can stop feeling bad about yourselves. You did something wrong, fix it and move on. Stop stopping. That's one of the overarching messages of Jesus Christ. But you know what happens. Mary Magdalene's in the garden. The women represent hope in the story. Hope shows up first. Just like in our lives, hope's the first thing that that comes back. You're feeling feeling bad, cultivate your hope. It's the beginning. The angel says, "Uh, Don't be amazed. Mary Magdalene goes and tells Peter and John. Peter represents faith. John represents love. Faith and love come right after hope. Make room for hope. Hope will lead you to faith. Faith will lead you to love. And that's when the beautiful thing happens, right? And it's really interesting. Peter and John, faith and love, go running back to the tomb. John, love, gets there first. (laughs) But he waits at the door, so to speak. Peter Goes in first. Love gets there first. Faith goes in first. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I love that idea. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene and says, Why are you, why are you crying? <laughs> I love that. Why are, you, why are you crying? And she tells him the whole story and everything. And and. Reading between the lines, it's almost as though Jesus says, just like we said a minute ago, is this a shock to you? I told you I'd come back. I told you that death is not a problem. I've told you that, here's the thing for you and me, nothing ever ends. If it's true, it can't ever stop. As I've said to you so many times, think about your life. You have experienced heartache and loss. We all have. But there has been something that has survived that and moved forward. That whatever it is that has endured, that is the truth about you. And if you're paying attention, you learn something about what's real and what you shouldn't be identifying with in the first place. It's gone and you're here. What is that thing that has survived? If it's true, it can't end. Jesus says something interesting to Mary Magdalene. He says, don't touch me. And reading into it a little bit, I suppose, I read it as, don't touch me with your grief. Remember, at the end of the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, he says, Jesus says that weird thing, he says, loose him and let him go. And we decided that what that means is, you've got to stop seeing Lazarus as dead if he's going to be alive in your life, right? when you're thinking about somebody that you love who's going through something, you've got to decide not to identify them with the heartache, just like you can not identify with the heartache. It's okay to have heartache, but it ain't the whole truth about you. It's just something you're going through. I'm not saying be in denial. I'm just saying remember who you are. And so Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, you can't see me that way either. Didn't we learn this lesson with Lazarus? Don't touch me with your grief. Because this ministry, this life, this mission is about love. The opposite. So we're going to figure out things differently. Jesus appears to some disciples on the road. And he says, this is going to come as a surprise to you, what he says. He says, why are you crying? I love that it's sort of a thing with him. What's the problem, guys? Come on. You're the in crowd. You know this stuff. And they say, uh, don't, you, don't you know what happened? Jesus is gone. Isn't that funny? Jesus talking to the disciples who are so sad that they don't see that they're in the presence of the Lord. They are so identified with the grieving that they can't see the truth when it's right in front of them. And that's the thing. If you identify with the sickness, the sadness, the whatever, you're not going to see right. Later on when we talk about uh, Saul's conversion into Paul, we're going to get a real concrete idea of how that works. But once again, it comes down to what do you identify with? And so Jesus, even though they don't recognize him, he walks with them. And I love this. The Bible says he explained to them the scriptures from the beginning till the present. He told them the whole story of the Bible. He told them the whole story of where they've been, how this all works, the things that they have probably heard before, but they still don't know it's him. And it gets time where the disciples want to stop and get something to eat. It's probably a Cracker Barrel. And they stop and Jesus wants to go on, but they say, please stay with us. We don't know much right now. We feel pretty up in the air, but these things that you've said, these teachings, they, they fill us. And we don't want that to end. So Jesus stays and he does the Jesus thing. He blesses and breaks the bread. And then in that moment, they see that it's him. That's the thing that's amazing. They, they don't realize it's him until he blesses and breaks the bread. Symbolic, breaking through something. Symbolic of the idea that, that things will change for you when you pay attention to what you take in, what you eat, right? And the disciples say to each other, of course it was him. How did we not know? And I love this. They say, did not our hearts burn when he talked to us of the scriptures? I don't know what you got going on in your life. It's possible that there are all kinds of things that you're supposed to identify with, your credit score, your weight, how many likes your picture of nachos on Instagram is getting, well, whatever it is. There's all kinds of things that we're supposed to identify with, and I get it. You know, there's, there's a lot of demands on us in this day and age. Understandable. But also silly. There are moments in your life where you get that Holy heartburn. When something just, you just know that it's true, that it's beautiful, that it's love, that it's inspiration, that it's hope. Go in that direction. Jump in, both feet, because that's where God lives, in those moments where you don't know why this is important, but you know that it is. In those moments where you don't know why that this is love, but it is. Did not our hearts burn? Follow your heartburn. (laughs) This message brought to you by Tums, but it's true. Follow your your heartburn. Follow those moments. Heartburn is an indicator way more than any kind of physicality. And there's that other uh, appearance that I love. Remember that a lot of the disciples are fishermen. And remember at the beginning, he meets them And he tells them to cast their nets on the other side because they're not catching any fish. And then they catch a lot of fish and they realize that this is a pretty cool miracle and they decide to follow, right? I'm, I'm glossing, but you get the idea. What's funny to me is after all of this, everything that they've been through, can you imagine getting to travel with the Lord, hearing these things, witnessing these miracles, being a part of this experience? What would you do? How would you be changed by it? And yet, <laughs> the Bible tells us that a lot of the disciples just went right back to fishing as soon as they could. It's easy to believe that proximity will help something. If I can just get to that holy place, if I can just stand by those special people, if I can just be around that, if I can just go, I don't know, see the vortex in, in Arizona or, I don't know, Wayne Newton, I don't know, Something that somehow I'll be next to that. But remember, the disciples were hanging out with Jesus, and the moment he's not there, they go right back to fishing. Proximity is not the same as receptivity. If you are open and receptive to a miracle, you will get it wherever you are. But if you're not, you can be in the presence of the Lord and not get the point. It's not about where you go. It's about what you identify with. That's the Easter message. But so there's the disciples out in the boat just like before, not catching anything. And here's Jesus walking on the shore and he says, hey, uh, how's that working for you guys? Caught anything? This is another great sign. If you feel like you're in despair, if you're just going through the motions of your life, you know, going with that kind of thing, ask yourself, just as Jesus would ask you, how's that working for you? Because if it ain't working, you should stop doing it. That's it. Jesus says, you know, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And one of the astounding Easter miracles is that doesn't uh, (laughs) ring a bell with them until they do cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And again, the catch is so great that the nets strain to to hold it. Then they realize. They have this wonderful breakfast by the shore. It's very chic. And in that moment, Jesus says, do you love me? What would you say? Well, we know what they said. And He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, go and do this. If you love me, carry on these traditions. If you love me, don't go back to fishing. There's a message there. If you try to go back to the old ways, it won't work. They can't catch anything until they listen to the Christ. This is important. Because he has just fed them. And he's saying to them, look guys, the point of all of these miracles isn't so you can get fed. The point of the miracles, the point of this life, the point of this journey is so that you can feed somebody else. If you love me, go feed my sheep. There's lots of people who say they love Jesus but walk around hating and finding ways to build walls and divisions between other people. Ways to judge other people for, for having a different life than them. But you and I know, and it is clear as crystal, that that ain't how Jesus would do it. If you love Jesus, you've got to feed people in whatever way makes sense to you. You've got to stop finding ways to hate somebody just because they're different than you. Think about who Jesus hung out with. You know better than that. Together, as a people, we've got to know better than that. That's the Easter message. It's not about the income, it's about the service of other people, about being in touch with the flow. As we go on a little bit in the story, there comes that that moment when he has to go. And it seems funny. You know, when I watch movies and there's that part at the end of the movie where the the sheriff has cleaned up the town and he's got to ride off into the sunset or whatever, those those points in the story where the hero can't be there anymore. Frodo's got to get on the boat, right, with Gandalf and he can't hang out in the Shire anymore. Sound familiar? It's the same story over and over again. Luke Skywalker can't be there at the end. Spoilers. Dumbledore, come on, over and over again, and over and over again, and over and over again. This is the story. And when you've seen those movies or read those books or shared those tales, how have you felt? I'm a sentimental guy, so a lot of times I get sad in those moments because I want everybody to stay in the same room. Maybe that's how the disciples felt too. Because Jesus says, look guys, here's the deal. I have to go now. I have to go because if I don't go, you will not receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit comes from the same root as the word inspire. You will not be inspired. You won't do anything, in other words. If I'm here cleaning up after you, you're not ever going to figure this out. Why would you? There's no, uh, no pressure to figure out how to help somebody. You just kick the problem down the road, let old Jesus handle it. Remember when you lived in your parents' house? They made you do the dishes and stuff like that. But you didn't do really do a great job because they weren't your dishes. But man, when you moved out, it became important in a different way because they were yours, right? It's like that. Everything is like everything, right? And Jesus says, look guys, if I don't go, you're never going to do this. If I don't go, this whole ministry is going to be me and 12 guys wandering around forever. And yet here we are people have said that that because of covid there are churches shutting down all over the country all over the world and i see the for sale signs i get it and even if it's a denomination that teaches things that i wouldn't teach in a million years in my worst mood <laughs> i so grieve for that and yet you and i are doing this and there are people doing this kind of thing all over the world not just on Sunday morning, but now, whenever. There are people listening to my voice while they're on the treadmill at the gym, while they're driving in their car on the way to work. There are people watching this live on a Sunday morning, watching this on a Tuesday night. It doesn't matter anymore. There are people trying to figure out the message of Christianity all over the place, and it all happens because he has to go. And we have to grow. There's a story that I love that in some parts of the world that just rely on fishing. You know, and that's just about everywhere where there's a coast, right? In some parts of the world, things haven't changed for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. They do things those ways. There's something beautiful about that already, but there are places in cultures that would have no way to communicate with each other. There are places where They do this same crazy thing. They build a boat, a brand new boat, brand new wood, brand new everything, ready for fishing. And remember, fishing is life, so this is it. This is really important. They build this beautiful boat, and then immediately they weight it down and they sink it. And that seems crazy. But they leave it in the water for three days. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? And after those three days, during that process, it is becoming perfect. The environment is making it perfect. It's soaking up water, and the, the joints of that wood and everything else is shaping exactly the way that it needs to shape. And it becomes a better boat for that three-day journey. And at the end of it, they bring the boat back up, and they take the stones out of it, they roll them away, and they have a big party, because now the boat is ready for life. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe you're somewhere in the middle of your three days at the bottom of the ocean. What if you're getting ready for something? What if that suffering does not define you? What if that lack and that loneliness and that fear does not define you? What if you are more? What if you have a purpose? What if you're supposed to feed somebody? What if, before you know it, you'll be ready? And we'll all be there to have that party because it's time for a new life. It's time for you and me to remember who we are. It's time for you and me to feed other people, to share that with somebody today. it's time for us to let a lot of things go and set a lot of things free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you. I want to thank you so much for sharing your Easter with me. Uh, I can't tell you what it means. This has been such a journey, and we're not done. We got more Bible to go, more stuff to talk about. I hope you'll join me next time as we start to talk about the rest of the the story, the rest of your story. But in the meantime, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing these videos, for hitting that share button. It means a lot. For liking and sharing and subscribing and all of that. I want to remind you that we are planning an in-person gathering. The last weekend in May, it's going to be a, a Saturday night. I don't have my calendar in front of me, whatever that, that day is, the last Saturday in May. We're going to do something live right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, the finest city on the face of the earth. It's going to be in the evening on that Saturday. Mark your calendars. It's going to be something really special that we're planning for you. Keep, uh, keep watching. But in the meantime, I want to thank you for your gifts of love and substance. They keep this ministry going. And you can help support this church by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. Let's hold those gifts in our minds and our hearts and bless the offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is, and so it does. Amen. And as always, I want you to remember that wherever you are, you are not there alone. Together, we pray as a family. God, I'm ready for change. My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. I'll see you next week. Hey, this is Dita Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do, based on what you've heard, can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube where you can watch the videos. Come join us in person, our street address, and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should, do that there. waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.